Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan. Joining me is Brad Hallier. Brad, it's uh, it still feels like summer out there. As certainly we're well into the fall sports season, but uh, uh, some some changes coming on the way. It looks like for Friday night football this week, going to be quite a bit cooler. Oh. Of course, it's the Friday night I have to broadcast outside, which is fine. Hey, it's 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 not a huge deal. Just kind of ironic that the first really cold day of the season is going to be on a high school football Friday in a night where, uh, you know, I have to broadcast outside. Just just a little bit of irony. Not, not a big deal. I don't mind doing it. It looks like a location that we uh, froze our tuchuses off there uh, a couple years ago. On yes, sir. Box, Canton Galva. Yeah, well, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, the end of September, 1st of October, Brad, that's usually, uh, uh, unfortunately these days, uh, a pleasant date for us Royals fans as the season is mercifully over now for the Kansas City Royals, who, by way of taking two out of three from the Yankees, at the K, avoided setting a franchise record for most losses ever. They actually tied it with 106 losses this year, 56 and 106. Was a nice scene at the K on Sunday, Brad. The send-off that, well, we assume the send-off for Zach Grinke. Uh, he came out in the sixth inning with a 5-0 lead, so he picked up a very rare win this season so if that is indeed um his last pitch as a major leaguer um he 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 did get to go out on a high note yeah and it's good to see you know i think zach is one of the most popular royals of all time you know once you get past the likes of uh brett and white and hosmer and alex gordon and Saberhagen, I think, uh, you know, Zach Greinke is probably, you know, he's definitely a top 10 in terms of popularity with the fans in Royals history. And definitely it was a good way to, to show him out. And, you know, Scott, it's, I've always, here, here's something I always appreciate about Zach. First of all, he was always unfiltered, but not in a bad way. You know, sometimes when these guys are unfiltered, it's like, okay, you, you don't have to say it that way. But Zach was always unfiltered in a way that, you know, was 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 funny and honest, and you know, I always kind of appreciated about him. And uh, more than that, he always held Kansas City very special to him. And again, we're going under the assumption this is it for him. And you know, when he had those mental health problems, and he stepped away from baseball for a little bit, I think he always appreciated that the Royals stuck by him that entire time, worked with him, let him take his time off to get his mind right. And he came back to become one of the best pitchers in baseball. And, um, you know, Zach has already said that if, if, if he's lucky enough to get into Cooperstown, and I think he will, that he wants a Royals hat on his plaque. Well, that would be, that'd be quite the fitting in for a, a really good career. Um, you look at the Royals, Brad, going into the offseason, uh, you're sitting there with a, a generational talent in Bobby Witt. I don't, know how long his current contract runs brad but is you and i both just don't see a direction right now with with the way the royals are going is do you see a future with bobby witt still on the royals in another say three or four years probably not unfortunately and i and i hate to say because you know he is a generational talent you know, there, there wasn't anybody on that 2014 or 15 roster that had the, you know, just the, the, the raw and natural ability that Bobby Witt has. I mean, I think he became the first player in Major League history this year to have at least 30 home runs, at least 40 stolen bases, and at least 10 triples. So you're talking about a guy who's doing something that, you know, not even Hank Aaron or Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle ever did. You know, Barry Bonds never did. So when you're considering Bobby Witts, you know, I, I, and I hate to say it, but if there's no direction, I mean, Scott, you're going to have to shop him at some point. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was afraid you were going to say, but I, I mean, I, I don't see, I just don't see that much improvement in the next couple, three seasons from where they're at right now to, to give him any reason when you know that the big market teams are going to come a call in with that, contract that the Royals won't have a prayer meeting it just it just feels like 
it feels like they're a farm club for everybody else, and that's back where they were before um, the Dayton Moore era. Well, if you go back to 2006, which, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that was the last time they went 56 and 106, right? Uh, that sounds right. Six or seven. Okay, so you're talking, you know, a decade before the Royals uh, – well, not, not, not quite a decade, but you're talking, you know, seven years before the Royals were truly competitive from that time. You know, from 2006 until 2013 when the Royals really turned the corner and became competitive, you know, over a span of four years – uh, Bobby Witt's not going to be here in seven years. I mean, let's just be honest. He's not going to be here in seven years. And if he is, he's going to be taking either a drastic uh, pay cut, you know, compared to where he could get in one of the big markets, or the Royals are just going to they're not going to be flush with cash. But that, that's the only other way I can see it happening. Um, you know, I'll never say never, but, you know, it's, it's just really unfortunate because Bobby Witt is such an elite player and – you know, when the Royals were struggling all those years from, you know, what, about 2002 until 2007 or eight, they didn't have anybody remotely like Bobby Witt. And like I said, even that 2015, 14 and 15 team, they had nobody like Bobby Witt. No, they really didn't. And that's just, I guess that's what makes it so sad when you can, you already see the handwriting on the wall. And, and again, you and I both hope we were never more wrong about anything, um, in our commentating days, but I, I will be shocked if he is a, a lifetime Royal, which we'd all like to see um, with the course, the Royal season ending. That means the postseason begins. Um, actually games are underway. This is a Tuesday. Uh, it feels a little bit, Brad, like a changing of the guard, not so much maybe in the national league, but over in the American league, when you have three teams from the AL East make the playoffs and neither is the Red Sox or the Yankees. None of the three. The Red Sox and the Yankees, the only two teams in that division that did not get to the playoffs, the Orioles, the Rays, and the Blue Jays, all in the playoffs. It, 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 it's very refreshing to me. Um, when you look at the playoffs as a whole, what do you see? You know, I think the NFL gets a lot of the credit for being a, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of the league. You don't know what's going to happen year to year. And, then, you know what, Scott, there's a lot of truth to that. There, there is. But, man, you know, the parity that we've seen in baseball, you know, in the last 15, 20 years is quite remarkable. I mean, think about this. The Royals have won a World Series. The Cubs have won a World Series. The Indians almost won, or I guess they're the Guardians now, almost won a World Series. I mean, that would be like – if you compare that to major um, uh, to the NFL, that would be like the Jets and the Lions going back to back in Super Bowl wins. <laughs> it would be as as improbable as it sounds. The Royals and the Cubs did it, and we're kind of seeing that once again. You know the in, you know the the Orioles were really awful not long ago, but don't forget the Royals beat the Orioles in the 2014 American League Championship Series, uh, swept them in four games. Uh, next year they beat Toronto in the ALCS uh, in five games or six, I think it was six games. And, uh, you know, once again, the twins are back at the top of the central. So I, I just think what you're seeing is, you, you know, I don't think major league baseball gets enough credit for having parity. No, I, yeah, I look at the, look at the teams that are in there. I mean, the Rangers Astro, I mean, the Rangers are back in there that, you know, the Astros have been there, but, you know, I mean, the Cardinals were in last place this year, Scott. Washington was in last place. Yeah, and teams that you thought you know, had gone all in, like the Padres, um, boy, they went all in on their their bank books and and fell short. Um, teams you thought were going to be there, the, the teams a lot of people were picking the White Sox um, in the Central Division, and they were terrible this year. Not I think the Mets as- had a lot of hype, didn't they? And the Mets, yeah, and they, they were way out of things. You got the Brewers are back in there. The D-backs make a return over in the uh, National League. And it, just, it feels like the Marlins, you know, the Miami Marlins, they were awful a few years ago, Brad, similar to the Orioles. I mean, yeah, you still feel like when you look at it, it's probably going to be the Braves or the Dodgers come out of the, uh, the National League. Um well, it feels like the American League's a little bit more open, but it, it could be a lot of fun to watch. 
Yeah, of course, now with the expanded bracket, you know, you got the extra wild card team. And, you know, now the the worst division winner joins the wild card teams. And I think it's a best of three. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, then they go to a best of five and best of seven, I think is how it works. So, uh, you know, I think the expanded playoffs, uh, I I certainly don't mind it. Um, I'm not one of those people that likes how the, uh, the NBA and the NHL kind of have like two months of playoffs. I'm not a fan of that. And I hope baseball that doesn't ever get to that point. But, uh, you know, I think um, I think the expanded playoff is good. I know there's still a lot of purists that kind of wish we went back to, you know, one or two teams from each uh, league making the playoffs. But, you know, I, I think the the expanded playoffs is good. We've seen a lot of wild card teams kind of catch fire. And, you know, that and that, that that's just kind of the, the beauty, I think, sometimes of uh, American sports is seeing these uh, really hot teams or the, the kind of the team that no one's really talking about kind of go through on a Cinderella run through the postseason. Yeah, that that's if it, you're just a baseball fan, you don't have a horse in the race, of course you're that's what you're looking for is somebody maybe like a like a blue you know, the Blue Jays and the D backs. So they're your six seeds or somebody there in the middle, like the Marlins that haven't been there um in forever to to, to make a run. But it should be uh, a lot of fun. We'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep tabs on it and uh, talk about it a little bit. Well, the NFL this past weekend, Brad, it featured a lot of uh, um, unique games. You had a game between the uh, two, quite possibly the worst teams in the league right now, and the Bears and the Broncos. The Broncos ended up winning that game. Um, you had. Some blowouts. Um, didn't see a lot of things you you didn't expect. Um, then we turned on the TV Sunday night for the Chiefs and the Jets. And Brad, I think everybody, a, a Chiefs fan, would have been thrilled with the first quarter. You go out, you jump on a team that's without Aaron Rodgers. You're up 17 to nothing, and that's when things got more interesting than we ever hoped. You know, you, you get the uh, Face mask call in the end zone that um, gets a safety for the Jets, and then things start to happen. Um, the Mahomes interceptions, and they get themselves, Brad, into a nip and tuck game, which they ultimately come out and win 23 to 20. Um, what was your assessment when you were watching that Chiefs game now that you've had a couple of days to digest it? It's kind of a weird game, wasn't it, Scott? It was strange. Uh, you know, the Chiefs just dominated the first quarter and it looked like that they'd have another Bears-like game. And then, you know, the safety happened. And then they uh, the, the Jets score on the ensuing possession, which was benefited with a, just a ridiculous, horrible uh, horse collar tackle, which should have been a, um, a, a face mask on Brees Hall. So, I mean, that's a 30-yard swing right there. But, you know, I mean, stuff like that happens every game, so I don't want to get too much into that. But uh, the next thing you know, it's a, it, it, it's a ball game. Mahomes had two just bizarro interceptions, uh, almost had a third when it was dropped by um, uh, Kelsey, just kind of him, him and Kelsey weren't on the same page. And it was just over. But, but you know what, Scott, the reason I'm not going to be too panicked about it is because it seems like the Chiefs had these kind of games probably more than we, we realize. Don't forget, last year they needed overtime to win at Houston, a really bad Houston team. Needed overtime to beat them. Um, they struggled twice beating the Broncos. I think both Broncos games were one possession games. Yeah, and one one was similar where the Chiefs were up big and the Broncos got back into it. I think they beat the Raiders once by just one point. Uh, those are those were three bad teams last year that the Chiefs struggled to beat. And here's something to remember, Scott: the Jets aren't a bad team. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, they was, beat Buffalo already. They have a good defense. Yes, they have a good defense, yes, and, and a good running back in Brees Hall. Yeah, and the Chiefs made them look like they had an all-pro quarterback. Yes, and we've seen that how many times through the years where a backup comes in and just sets the Chiefs on fire. Yeah, um, lack of pass rush, boy. He Once he started getting some of those completions, he came out in that second half. All of a sudden, you had back shoulder throws. You had fitting it in right over linebackers. Uh, yeah, it, a pro quarterback, given the time and the confidence, is going to do those things. And then when they could not get a pass rush in on him, that 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 that's when things truly turn uh, really interesting. Some of the other things that, of course, 
Of course, the officiating's been talked about a ton in this game. It was not good. Um, a couple of the calls in particular. Um, originally, when I saw the face mask for the safety, Brad, I thought, well, that's the right call. I've also heard one of the um, analyst officials come out and said that should not have been a safety, that the face mask began to occur before the defender was in the end zone, that that should not have been a safety. I have heard that. Everybody, the, the horse caller you already alert, alluded to, um, was awful. Um, that kept that drive alive. Everybody wants to talk, of course, about the holding call on the Jets on the Chiefs' um, last drive. Um, I've seen a v- worlds of different opinions on this, that it was awful. Um, they, sh- they let more in the game go. Uh, but when I look at it and you think by the rule, it was past five yards. There was contact. The defender was body was turned a little by rule. That was uh, defensive holding or illegal contact. I forget which one. I think it was called a defensive hold. By, yeah, it was. Um, was I crazy? If, if I was a Jets fan, um, would I have been upset with that call? Yeah, by rule, it probably was a hold. But overall, yeah, it was it was not a, a good look for the officials on Sunday night. No, it really wasn't. And I'm going to kind of get into my uh, uh, my final thought, uh, kind of a teaser here about that, is that, you know, we, we, we acknowledge time and again that um, how, how difficult of a job officiating is. It is. I mean, I, I do it, and um, it, it's a difficult job. It's a thankless job. And I think the NFL is probably one of the most difficult – sports to officiate but uh, you know h- how how you can call on, on that one where Brees hall grabbed the face mask and followed it up with a, a horse collar when it wasn't a horse collar tackle i mean look uh, like you said the, the last holding penalty can you make a fair argument that was a hold can you also legitimately say hey i've seen worse holds get away with yes you can there's no black and white about the, that. What the pre, the one we were just talking about. There, Brees Hall grabbed the face mask and pulled. That is now a penalty. You know, there was a time where maybe they would allow like a stiff arm to the face mask to be legal, where an offensive player could do that. Not anymore. That is now a 15 yard penalty. And the horse collar rule that did not go inside the jersey. So those are penalties that aren't black and white. Those or that are black and white. That you have to call those. You have to get that right. And it, it's. It's just kind of it, – it, and it spills over, Scott, and that's what I'm going to talk about later on. Um, not really related to the Chiefs here, but it's – you know, again, that, that holding penalty, yes, you, you can make a fair argument either way. There's also on the third and 23 where Mahomes scramble for the first down, some people are saying there was a hold on the Chiefs' offensive line. Uh, I, I watched many re- angles of it. I thought it was a good blocking, but again – You've seen you've seen less blatant holds get called before. Uh, Eric Fisher in the playoffs against the Steelers, right? So it, it's I, I just don't like how some of these calls that should be easy aren't made, and then kind of the fifty fifty calls that are made where you can understand the frustration for some for, from some people. Yeah, a couple of my big takeaways from that game was Mahomes found another way. When he he he'll admit that was not a good game for him. Some of those touch passes he was trying to throw, he had no business trying to throw them. Um, that he had picked off and could have had another one. But Fant, when he had to make a play, he made him with his feet. You know, and they held the ball the last seven and a half minutes of the game and iced the game. You, you like that? The the two concerns and they're kind of interlocked for me. Boy, they could not protect him, Brad. Um, Mahomes, people were talking, well, Chiefs need to throw the ball down the field. He didn't have time to throw the ball down the field. If, if it wasn't a five- or ten-yard route, forget about it on Sunday night. It just wasn't happening. Um, and also related to that, Brad, Juwan Taylor, uh, I know he was a big free agent acquisition. He's, he's terrible right now. Um, he's a penalty machine. Uh Officials, obviously, you know, they've been watching him really closely for the lining up um, in the backfield, that type of thing. But he, he's leading, I believe, the league in penalties right now. I know he is for offensive linemen. Um, how concerned are you about the pass protection and Jawan Taylor in particular? 
think one thing I'm more concerned about with the pass protection is the the wide receiving core right now. I mean, they're just not good. Um, yeah, gosh, I mean, Tony had a couple of catches early. Then we, then we didn't see him the rest of the game. You know, Sky Moore caught a couple of those end arounds, you know, little shovel passes on, on the jet sweeps or whatever. But, you know, part of the reason that Mahomes is under pressure is uh, – Part of it, I think, is because he can't find anybody. Nobody's open. Yeah, there's nobody open. And, you know, I think that was a kind of a concern that the Chiefs really didn't go out and get, you know, the, a wide receiver one. Scott, I'm not sure if they have a wide receiver two on this team. Yeah, that's something moving forward. You hope as they get more games under their belt, the continuity will get there and they find a way to uh, – Get those guys open. I, I would be in favor of more of the two and three tight end sets, Brett. Their receivers, maybe, you know, Kelsey obviously is their go-to guy. That, no doubt about it. Blake Bell and Noah Gray may be their, their second and third best receivers. Um, those guys catch the ball. Um, they get open. They catch the ball. And I, I think I'd like to see them because it, it gives the perception when they bring the three tight ends that you're going to run because it's more of a power formation. I'd like to see them employ that and throw more out of it. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, frankly, I think as Rashid Rice, the rookie from SMU, I think he's the only one I would really kind of from the wide receiving court to give a little pass on just because he is brand new and it's a complex system. But yeah, Noah Gray's been one of their top threats so far this year. Had a great t- uh, touchdown uh, catch and run the other night against, uh, against the Jets. So the Chiefs still go on the road, tricky game at Minnesota before they have the short week and play Thursday night. But I believe that's against the Broncos in Kansas City. So if you got a short week, I always like that you are going to be at home. Um, that's the quick upcoming schedule. Uh, not a whole lot of other like world beater um things from the weekend that came up. Um, again, here's my Cowboys, Brad Hand. Hand them, uh, Bill Belichick, his worst loss ever as Patriots head coach just throttled them. The defense scored twice in a 38-3 blowout. Now they have to go to San Francisco um, next Sunday night. That's going to be a great ball game. I think the other game that really stuck out, and again, it's for all the wrong reasons if you're a Giants fan, was the Monday nighter. 11 sacks of Daniel Jones by the Seahawks defense on Monday night. He was just – Troy Aikman was one of the announcers, and he, he played in a game uh, against the Eagles where they sacked him 11 times. I think it was in 91, he said. And he said, and this game looks a lot worse than that one. The, the Giants uh, the Giants are a mess without Saquon Barkley right now. I mean, Daniel Jones, I, I give him credit. He was in there to the last series of that game on Monday night, and I would I'd have been faking injury long before then. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's what they say the NFL stands for sometimes, not for long, right? Yeah. Um, you know, last week we're talking about, you know, how the how the Miami Dolphins might be the prohibitive favorite in the AFC and, you know, they're, they're, how they look unstoppable. And they, they they just go and get slaughtered by the Bills. Yeah. You know, the Bills kind of entered, you know, again, now they're kind of the talk. But, you know, don't forget, they lost to the Jets, who had lost Aaron Rodgers that night. So, you know, the, th- the thing is, is that, uh, it, you know, it's um, – it's a week to week kind of thing, you know. You know, now everyone's back on the Cowboys bandwagon a, le- a week after they lost to the, at best, mediocre Arizona Cardinals. So I think you know what 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 we see year to year, Scott, is that there's always these pretenders, these teams that start out kind of hot or have a couple big wins. And what what is the team? Who are the teams that usually are there at the end? It's the teams that are consistent. The teams that don't you know necessarily blow teams out, but they win. And who's that right now? Kansas City, you know, New England all those years. I mean, yeah, New England had some really good teams out there, obviously, with Tom Brady. But, you know, these last few years, you know, it's the Chiefs that have been really consistent. You know, they, they yeah, they, they, they lose some games. Uh, they lose some games that you don't think or they maybe don't blow teams out. But they also just win. It's, it's like that they figured out that, you know, it doesn't matter how you win, just win. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. How big a can- – on the concern meter, would you be if you're a Bengals fan? One and three. Okay, so is ten like most concerned? Yes. Uh, Eleven. <laughs> I agree because uh, first of all, Joe Burrow ain't, ain't right. He's not. He's him. not right. No, I agree. Um, they're they're in deep trouble. They are in deep trouble. 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, the injury he suffered in the preseason, uh, it looked bad. Uh, you just don't, you know, usually when you have the no-contact injuries, those are usually some of the worst injuries you can suffer. And that was a no-contact injury. Then, you know, there's speculation that he might miss a month. Well, he didn't miss any time. And I'm starting to wonder if he was even ready to begin with. So, yeah, I, yeah if, if, uh, if, I'm a, if I'm a Bengals fan, uh, my concern uh, factor right now is as high as possible. You, I mean, Joe Burrow is an elite talent. He doesn't look like it right now. You're locked in now to that contract that he has. Gosh, I just – and I'm someone that, you know, who has a lot of respect for Joe Burrow. I think he is truly an elite quarterback. And if something's wrong with him and they maybe rushed him back or whatever, uh, that's not good. Yeah, they 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 certainly could have done that. Um, Herbert for the Chargers uh, hurts a thumb. I mean, there's all sorts of – injuries early in the season that'll have Garoppolo's hurt now Garoppolo's out right now for the uh, the Raiders um yeah it's there's there's some teams that are uh in panic mode at this point uh, we'll of course keep track of all the NFL action coming up this weekend um, again the Chiefs are at the Vikings on Sunday well on this past Saturday Brad speaking of injuries uh Game time decision down in Austin, Texas that last weekend for KU and Texas. I I get the TV flipped on just in time to see Jason Bean um, going out for the Jayhawk offense on Saturday as Jalen Daniels was a game time scratch uh, at some point. I don't know when, and the announcers don't know either. Um, re-aggravated, tweaked, whatever you want to call it, that back injury he's been dealing with. Um, and then the game unfolds, Brad, this was, this was a game. I mean, it was 20 to 14, uh, mid third quarter, mid to late. I think they were past the halfway point of the third quarter. I think you had the ball. Hey, you had the ball. And then fourth and one, their own 38, uh, decide to go for it. They try to run an option, the exchange, um, it's fumbled between Bean and I believe it was Highshaw. That could have been Neil. I believe it was Highshaw in the play. Uh, Texas recovers, and then the, the floodgates open. They score the final uh, three scores of the game to win 40-14. to 14. Um, Do they win with Jalen Daniels out there, Brad? I still would probably have to say no. You never know. Um, Certainly, if he wasn't fairly close to 100%, I agree with the decision not to play him. He got a lot of season left. What, what do you think about everything that happened down in Austin? Well, first of all, you can't fault Jason Bean at all. And here's why. Jalen Daniels took all the reps all week. Jason Bean probably took maybe a handful, took a lot of second-team reps, whatever. They get on the flight to Austin. They go to the hotel. There's no indication that anyone's playing besides Jalen Daniels. You get up on Saturday morning. Still, you think yeah, Jalen Daniels is starting. <laughs> then you get to the stadium and realize, oh, he may not be playing now. Now you got to throw Jason Bean in there. That's a tough situation for anybody to, to be asked. I, I, I would almost say that it's better for a backup to, you know, come in because of injury or something like that. Uh, because that's kind of what their mindset is, right? Their mindset is, you know, I, you know, I might be called on any minute here. You never know. But to get to the stadium and say, oh, by the way, Jason, uh, you're playing, uh, you're starting quarterback against the number three Texas Longhorns. Uh, that just wasn't a good situation. Uh, I shouldn't say a good situation. Just it, it was a tough situation for Jason Bean to be in. Uh, I, from what I've heard, is that it's just kind of the same recurring uh, back problems just flared up on him. That there's really no serious concern that it's going to be you know anything long but you know a concern is obviously that this literally could be a week-to-week thing where it just flares up on him and he can't go mm. yeah um i mean he played well um i i can't fault his effort he's 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 a fantastic backup to have Brad. i'm so glad he came back um to play uh, an, another super senior year this year um, and again, I, you don't know, you don't know. Um, I, Jason Bean is a good quarterback. Jalen Daniels is a game changing quarterback. You never know if he plays, you don't, you don't know that they're, 
they're beating or not beating Texas on Saturday, but um, I thought they acquitted themselves well. I know people look at the final score and say, oh, they got blown out. Well, I mean, they, they lost by 26 points. Um, that was a game. Um, that was a game. Do you agree with going for it at that stage of the game? Yes and no. Yes, because I say that, you know, you're, you're down in Austin. You're down by a one score. It's early third, early to mid-third quarter, and you're thinking, you know, if we get this here – and go down and score, you know, we've got all the momentum in the world. No, because, because it's Jason Bean that's in there. Again, a tough situation for him to be in. If Jalen Daniels is in there and we get stuffed, hey, fair enough. Uh, but I just think that, you know, like you said, a fumble on the exchange, I mean, that 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 is the concept that happens when you've got a quarterback who wasn't taking the reps all week. Uh, but I appreciate that Leipold had the belief in Bean to, to go out there and do the job. Uh, so uh, I, I do agree to a certain extent uh, to go for it there. But on the other hand, I kind of wish they had punted. Boy, Brad, and the thing was, I, I haven't got to see the video. I've talked to several people that did. If he pitches that ball, it was wide open on the edge. There was nobody out there. Everybody was stacked in there thinking they're going to run it. If he just pulls that cleanly and pitches it out on the edge, they may get it. But uh, uh that that's all water under the bridge now. They they're four and one. They return back home um, to play Central Florida. Um, and you and I've talked about it. When you look at the rest of KU's schedule, with the exception of Oklahoma and K State at this point, I think they're going to be favored in every game that they play. There's um, I think every game remaining on their schedule is a winnable game. Um, and it starts this week. This is feels like Brad, this is another one of those, you know, if you're wanting to be better than six and six, this is another big swing game against UCF. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Kansas currently looks like is a two and a half point favorite. So, you know, with a, with a three point bump, usually for being the home team, uh, it's about, it's about a pick right now. And, and I can't really disagree with that. You know, UCF's not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. They gave K-State was one of those games where they were never in it, but never really out of it either. Uh, one concerning thing is that Central Florida lost to Baylor last weekend. Baylor, frankly, and it was in Central Florida. Uh, Baylor's not very good this year. And Baylor went down and scored 36 on him, including, let's see, 26 in the four, unanswered in the fourth quarter. Uh, so on one hand, um, I think this is one of those games, if, if KU can come out and kind of set the tone early, get up by a couple touchdowns, they might they may cruise to victory in this one because I think UCF is probably a wounded animal right now and not necessarily in a good way. Yeah, I agree. I think this is one you feel like if they can dominate early in the game, that they could cruise. If they don't, uh, this could be one of those, a nail-biter in the fourth quarter, but uh, – uh, I'm excited to see how they respond. I think they'll respond well. Um, be great to see them move to five and one. Well, the uh, Sterling Warriors, Brad, on this past Saturday um, took on the number one rushing attack in the country. Friends came in averaging, I think it was 432 yards on the ground per game. And unfortunately for the Warriors, Brad, that average is going up. Um, Friends was... I think 536 yards sticks in my head that they ran for um, against Sterling. Game started great, Brad. Trey Dixon opening kickoff for the Warriors, 96 yards. Uh, he takes it to the house. So Sterling led 7 nothing, um, and then proceeded to kind of get moved up and down the field on the entire first and second quarter it was 21-7 and that's only because Brad a uh, fumble by friends at the goal line going in that was recovered in the back of the end zone by Sterling um, prevented it from being 28-7 and then bizarre things began to happen in the third quarter Sterling started to out friends friends they started to run the football power running game control the clock uh, Sterling breaks off a big 70 I believe it was a 71 or 74 yard touchdown run from Elijah Curry, one of their many freshmen that are playing this season. All of a sudden it's, it's, uh, it's 21, 14. And then they get a drive going down together. Um, quarter ends. The first play of the fourth quarter is a field goal into the wind. That's good. So it's 21, 17. And you're thinking, man, this thing 
Um, could be really close. And then Friends has a four-play drive, uh, stick it in the end zone, uh, and then things just snowball. There's two interceptions by the Warriors. One's a pick six, and Friends goes on to uh, blow out the Warriors there in Sterling. And it just kind of... Just kind of the way the season has gone, Brad. The, the offense outside of the third quarter couldn't sustain the drives. They ended up turning it over. Um, it was nice to see them. They were over 200 yards rushing. Uh, that's something they desperately need to do. But um, going into their bye week, a uh, whole lot of things to work on before they start divisional play. I see this right, friends. The triple option team scored 34 points in 10 minutes. Yes. I guess one of them was a pick six, but. <laughs> uh, that you Kev- see correctly. Yeah, that, uh, if I say his name incorrectly, uh, help me out here. But uh, Kevontae Baker, is that how you say his name? Yes. Uh, boy, he's something special. I've heard a lot about him. I actually worked with one of the friend's assistant coaches, former Sterling uh, Warrior, actually, Ryan Avey. And uh, he's one, I think he's a linebacker's coach there. And, boy, he just talks about how good Baker is running the option. Uh, perfect quarterback for that system. You know, Sterling should feel pretty good about how they handle things uh, through the. I mean, it's a it's it's a four point game in the fourth quarter, and you really can't ask for much and much more than that. Uh, but just kind of shows you that how close and yet how far away they still are. Yeah, they had fourteen penalties. The the one thing I'll preface that with, Brad, friends had three. Oh man, um, and we'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, several false starts uh, um there was some chippiness you know there were some after the play penalties there were several flags picked up um it was just kind of bizarre but um they'll have a very winnable game Tabor did pick up a nice win um in their last game before the bye everybody's on the bye this week they'll get them at home um and that's one of those you got to come back out focused you're at home uh, winnable game. I, I, I'll be very curious to see how they respond and, and regroup um, for that game here in, in, well, about a couple weeks now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, with everybody on the bye week, you don't really get an advantage over anybody. But, um, you know, the thing is, is, you know, I think first Sterling, the bye is probably coming at a good time. You know, try to get some things sorted out, a little bit of time to, to rest some uh, uh, ailing bodies. So I think this is probably coming at a good time for Sterling, a uh, ch- chance to kind of regroup a little bit. I, I agree. I, I love the universal buy, so everybody's on the same playing field. Well, uh, a big game. Yes, it was close. No, it wasn't. As the Blue Dragons continued uh, their dominance this season, Brad, I was a I, I was a little surprised by the margin forty three sixteen. Correct over Butler. Yep. Uh, that uh, nationally ranked Butler. Uh, wow that that one on the road uh, statement win there for Hutch. Yeah, they actually gave up a couple touchdowns, too. So maybe they should be a little uh, concerned about that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> actually fell behind early, Scott. They were down 6 nothing to Butler. And then kind of uh, the most hutch thing that happened was they go down, they tie the game on a Tyrell Reed five-yard touchdown run, and then Darby Roper, the Haven native, botches the extra point snap. And what does he do? He just outruns everybody to the end zone. I mean, how, how many college football teams have a holder that, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like luck or anything like that. Darby Roper's just that fast, and he, you have you have a you have a guy a punt returner holding holding for the extra point kicks. He's fast enough to do something like that. It's just unbelievable that it gave him an eight to six lead. They never looked back. It was twenty nine to six at halftime. You know Butler tried to get back into it with a touchdown early in the third quarter, but um, it's it it just appears right now. You know they they had twenty three first downs to fourteen for Butler. Um, let's see, get the total offense four eighty four eighty nine to two sixty seven. Uh, time of possession was almost even, but that's, uh, you know, I, I think any more these days, that's almost an irrelevant stat. You know, it just seems like that right now. And there, there's 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 bigger games down the road, of course, and one's this weekend against a ranked Dodge City team. But right now, it just almost feels like that Hutch is just on a different level than almost everybody in the country right now. And they played three ranked teams, and they throttled them all. I mean, Iowa Central is currently ranked number three, and Hutch went to their house. And beat them twenty-seven to two, mm-hmm. and you know uh, they get Dodge City this week, and it's uh, you know Dodge is uh, they're they're both uh, actually Dodge is technically in first place in the conference at three and zero, Hutch is two and zero, so 
I think I think Dodge has a very good defense. They they struggled putting points on the board, but you know they, they only lost to Iowa Western twenty seven to twenty. They only lost to Snow fifteen to six. So they've got two pretty good losses on there. So once again, I'm kind of thinking, you know, is this the week where maybe someone gives Hutch a, a challenge? I sure thought that was going to be the case last week, and I was wrong. Is that game at Dodge? It's in Hutch. It's in Hutch. Well, I actually like that they have a team of that caliber playing that well coming in. I think that helps with the uh, trap game type scenario this week. If they had a, you know, a winless or a one-win team coming in, um, might have more of a letdown. I think they'll be more focused. And when is the Iowa Western game? So after they play Dodge this week, they'll have a, they'll have their second bye. Uh, Coach Drew Dallas elects to have two buys throughout the season. And then they come back and uh, a couple tricky games out there still. Uh, they'll, they host Garden City. I don't think they'll have much trouble there. Then they go to Highland, which has yeah. a sneaky good, a, a sneaky great defense, I should say. Then they go to Independence, who isn't bad. They gave Iowa Western a pretty good game last week. And then Saturday, November 11th, Hutch will host Iowa Western. And right now it appears that that game will probably be uh, a lot a lot uh, to come. And Iowa Western actually has a very tough schedule ahead. But wouldn't be surprised if that game was just for nothing more than seeding. Yeah. And I think if Hutch continues to do, they, they seem to have done a good job this year taking it one game at a time. Um, judging by the results and how they played, if they continue to do that, um, we we both think that they can go into that one undefeated and and against Iowa Western and have a chance to lock up a home game in the number one seed um, in the JUCO playoffs. So of course we will keep track of the Blue Dragons. Well, much ado in the high school ranks this past weekend, Brad. There was some very Interesting games. Uh, my game was the first game of the Air Capital Football Series being held at Riverfront Stadium, home of the Wichita Wind Surge. Brad, phenomenal facility. Got to go down on the field for a while. Um, great accommodations for us. The only trouble was we found out in pregame Mays was going to have to go with a freshman quarterback as their junior was in a walking boot, was unable to go, and the handwriting was on the wall. And Mays South, I know Mays South is good. I was expecting Mays South to beat Mays, Mays at full strength. But Mays South, right, this was running clock in the fourth quarter. Um, 47 to nothing, Mays South just throttled Mays. Um, so it was kind of a, a huge crowd. I'm anxious to hear how many people were there. Mays, it seemed like they unloaded the city for this game. That's going to be fun. I know Mac and Bueller play there. Uh, Friends and Bethel are going to play a game there. Um, fantastic idea. I, I love it there. That's a great venue for football. Yeah, this, uh, I think that it's going to be great to see this more and more, uh, have games at Riverfront more often. I think they've been kind of wanting to do that for years. They used to play some games at Cessna, used to play some games at Stryker. I know that Capen plays there. Uh, but great win for May South. Uh, I know one of my former students, Colin Shields, was quarterback at May South for several years. And uh, I think the word to, to describe him when he texted me on Friday night was giddy. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it was. It was a impressive showing by May South. Now this week, uh, the game time game of the week on your view and Cox Channel 22. We go to Andover Central for the first time, Brad. This is an intriguing matchup three and two andover central hosting four and one salina central so you got four a and five a uh salina central brad they had maybe one of the best quarterbacks in the state returning for his senior year and gunner gross broke his leg in the third series of the first game of the season and last year he he rushed for over 1100 through for over 1700 36 touchdowns, so he's out for the year. Their junior quarterback, Jack Gordon, has stepped in and done a wonderful job, led him to a 4-1 and one record. Their only loss is to undefeated Goddard Eisenhower, um, 44-28. That was um, in Goddard. Uh, they're playing really well, got a great back, great receiver. Um, Andover Central is Andrew Bueller, their only loss. Andover Central's only loss are to Eisenhower and Goddard, both of those games being played in Goddard. Um, 
this is an uh, this is an intriguing matchup. Both teams are in ties for second in their respective Western classifications for Central 5A West um, and then over Central 4A West. So this is a huge game for both of these teams and just a in- really intriguing matchup on Friday. You know, last year I just kept kind of kept thinking that Salina Central was going to stumble at some point. But you look at their scores and, you know, it's it's never pretty from a margin perspective, but they just win, man. You know, I look at their schedule last year. You know, they start out with a 52-28 win over Salina South. Salina South, not great. And you think, oh, you know, they, they give 28 to South. They won't be that good this year. Then they go out and, you know, they, they lose to Eisenhower. Then they, you know, come back with a couple wins, lose to Valley Center. Then they beat Andover Central. Then they beat Goddard by five. Then they beat Arc City. Then they get into the playoffs, beat Andover by six, beat Great Bend by five. I mean, it's a Salina Central team that it just it's it's weird. They they just win. I mean, you look at their last two games, you know, they beat Andover 22-21. Then they beat Valley Center 34-31. It's not often pretty by the in terms of the margin, but Salina Central's just they, they just find ways to win. They do, and uh, you know it was weird because Andover's winless. They beat them by one, but then Valley Center, um, they're also they're they're three and two in five A West, a really good Valley Center team, and and beat them by three. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think this is gonna be a, a very close game. Looking forward to it uh, as we look at some of the other games and things that happened. From a week ago um, on Ad Astra, Sterling, Brad, they're going to – they're rough we call, schedule. We and called you, it, didn't we? We did. Medicine Lodge gets him by one. Sterling actually goes for a two-point conversion with about a minute 20 left in that game against Medicine Lodge, and they do not get it and lost by one. So they're three and two, and the murderous schedule continues. They go to Conway Springs, another tough test. Do you think the Black Bears can – bounce back or is Conway Springs uh, going to win this one? Well, we talked about that. That was a trap game for Sterling because Medicine Lodge was better than probably what their record indicated. Mm-hmm. Tough trip down to Medicine Lodge. I mean, if you, you feel like you're, by the time you get there, you feel like you that you've, uh, that you're probably near the Mexican border. It's so far South. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's going to be a tough one. I mean, Medicine Lodge or excuse me, Conway Springs has won three in a row. Uh, their only losses are to good teams from Garden Plain and Kingman. Uh, boy, I mean, and this district is so tough, Scott. We, we, we said it, we keep saying it, but it's true. There's going to be a good team left out of the playoffs from this district. I don't know who that's going to be, but you know, Sterling R has, they, they have a win in their, in, in their back pocket already. So that's good. And, uh, you know, Medicine Lodge is good. Conway Springs is good, but you know, one win isn't going to be enough to get you into the playoffs, man. Sterling's going to have to figure out a way to get that second, uh, district win, uh, you know, with Medicine Lodge and Trinity, or excuse me, with Conway Springs and Trinity coming up, both on the road, they could be going into that last game of the season against Ellenwood with with all the play for, with essentially, that, that could be a virtual playoff game right there. Yeah, it could be a must win. Medicine Lodge host Trinity this week. Uh, boy, that's going to be a tough, one of those teams going to get a second um, win in the district. That's going to be a tough game there, I think, in Medicine Lodge. It's actually at, at Trinity, but oh. uh, you know Trinity's off off to a you know a pretty good start in district play. Uh, they, they you know they beat Inman twenty to six. They beat Ellenwood thirty five to eight. So their defense is really showing out so far. And uh, you know Trinity actually it does say it says at wait it says at Medicine Lodge. Okay, you're right. No, it is at Medicine Lodge. Oh, yeah. yeah, my bad, my bad on that. So um, long trip down once again uh, for 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 one of our area teams. Not going to be an easy game to play. Uh, Medicine Lodge has to be liking their situation right now, Scott. They they got figure. Hey, Medicine Lodge figures we win this game, we can win a dis- we can win a district title. Yeah, absolutely. They have got a ton to play for. Both teams uh, a ton to play for this weekend. Uh, that's on one hundred point three. Uh, boy, Smoky Valley struggling this year. Doesn't get any. It gets even tougher this week as they will host Pratt. Uh, Augusta at Bueller. I think since that week one loss to Andover Central, I don't know that anybody's playing much better in 4A than Bueller. Do you think they have any trouble with the Augusta Orioles? Uh, I mean, Augusta's not bad. They're 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 two and three right now. Uh, they they uh, they they've got two big wins actually in a row over El Dorado and Circle. 
uh, had a pretty close loss to Mulvane. They did get throttled by McPherson uh, and Chanute to start the season, but they're playing much better now. So you know that Coach uh, Steve Warner is going to have his team on alert. But, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not sure that there's anybody in 4A playing better football right now than Bueller is. Uh, four, four wins in a row and uh, a, a marquee win over Great Bend and then another marquee win over Mulvane. How about your game this week? You're going to travel over. You already alluded to it. You'll be on top of the press box on the coldest night of uh, this young fall already where you'll have Canton Galva hosting Central Christian. Yeah, Canton Galva is, uh, you know, I think we maybe thought that they would take a step back this year because they, you know, lost so many great players. Uh, four and one now, but you look at their last four games, Scott. Mercy rule, mercy rule, mercy rule, mercy rule. So they're 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 young they got some guys who were maybe backups last year behind some outstanding players playing some good football right now central christian is young freakishly athletic and their only losses this year have been to number i think i got kinsley ranked number two and then sunrise christian academy a non-cation member and really for all intents and purposes scott this might be the district championship game it was last year anyway uh i think harrington is is okay but based on how Central – or uh, not – I'm sorry, Rural Vista, not Harrington. But based on how Central Christian has played this year, you know, some quality victories and two quality losses, uh, I, I think that they're still a pretty good favorite to not just uh, advance out of the district but still get a home game as well. Well, McPherson, they're one of those, uh, I think, five three-and-two teams in 4A West. They play at home this week against Wellington – um, how do you see that game breaking down? You know, it's kind of uh, – Wellington plays a, kind of a different schedule, but, you know, you look at their two losses, Andale and Collegiate. I mean, how many teams are going to have two losses to those teams? I mean, there's going to be a lot of teams that will play Andale – well, anybody who plays Andale loses. And uh, Collegiate are going to lose those two games. So uh, – and, 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 you know, Wellington's off in a place – it's kind of like Winfield. Weird things happen there. And, um, you know, that's a long trip from McPherson. I, I don't think this is going to be an easy game by any stretch. I think this is going to be a pretty – maybe not close to a toss-up. I would probably expect McPherson to win this one, but I think it's going to be a tough game. I, I do as well. Wellington's been one of those teams over the last few years that's just gotten better and better. I think they're going to – I think McPherson ultimately will win the game, but I, I, I'm like you. I think that's going to be a tight one. Uh, K-State football is on actually a Friday night. They're at Oklahoma State. I'll be curious to see – Okie State's had a, a tough start. See what happens um, in that game. Uh, Lions, Brad, took them five games, but they got on the scoreboard. Yeah. Week, uh, against a, a mop-up time late in that game against Ellsworth. Um, host a much-improved Halstead team this week. Um, boy, it's just, it's, just, it's just tough right now for Lions. There's no, no easy way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, t- tough times, and, you know, hopefully something for them to build on. But, uh, you know, Halstead, uh, back-to-back tough losses. I'm sure they're going to be a little bit on the grouchy side this week, especially with a, a tough game with Ellsworth and Cheney coming up for, for the Dragons. So, you know, they've already got that big win over Pratt, and you know they're eager to get back in the win column. The Salt Hawks bounced back, and they pounded, I believe it was Salina South, this last weekend, what are the Salt Hawks got coming up this Friday? Well, they get Campus, who has traditionally actually played the Salt Hawks fairly, fa- fairly tougher than their uh, than the record might indicate. A big win, fifty-seven to fourteen, and I think uh, the second touchdown slash South score was like, was in garbage time. Uh, Campus, though, they've lost their last uh, they've lost their last two to Valley Center and to Derby, forty-eight nothing to Derby last weekend. Their only one came against Salina South, but this should probably. And, and comparative scores aren't usually a good indicator, but sometimes they can give you at least a guide, I think. Campus's one win was against Salina South, 35-27. to 27. And, of course, Hutch just beat Salina South, 57-14. to 14. I don't think the Salt Hawks have much trouble this week. Yeah, I think they'll, they'll recover nicely. And, again, there's a, there's a pretty good log jam um, below first place in 5A West. So um, every win is important right now for uh, the Salt Hawks to try to, to keep pace with everybody else. Um, I think, Brad, there was a lot of good games this past Friday. I think one of the coolest things I saw this, I, I, as I know you did as well, it, it occurred in the Andale-Nickerson game, and probably people were thinking, what in the world came out of that shellacking 
and Andale laid on Nickerson. Well, Brad, there's uh, two young ladies that played in this game um, that are place kickers. Marlo Sullivan, we have seen her in person um, kick extra points for Andale. And then Ayla Anches, a familiar name. We've seen her play basketball. Um, she kicks for Nickerson. Um, I don't know if this has been confirmed yet, but it is believed to have been the first time ever in the same game um, that a girl has scored for both teams as both kicked extra points uh, for their respective schools on Friday night. I thought I saw that. I thought, wow, that is something really cool and really something um, historical that happened there in that ball game last Friday. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, obviously, like you, uh, like you, and we know the Anches family. I've known, you know, of course, John for years, and his brother Jason, who is, uh, you know, father to Ayla and Kieran and Madison. You know, Madison played soccer for a lot of years, so I got to see her play quite a bit, and Kieran as well. And it's just, uh, yeah, it was a really good deal to see uh, a potential history made. And I never got an answer on this one uh, a couple of years ago when Andale was winning another state championship. I think Marlo Sullivan was also the first female ever to score in a state championship football game. Oh, mm. you never did get confirmation on that. I would believe that that probably was. Well, considering I put it out on social media and no one responded to say, no, this, this has happened before. I, I took it that I took that as no, it, it had never happened before. All right. So again, that was something that was really awesome. I thought that occurred on Friday night. Again, the whole Ad Astra schedule, as always, if you want to look at it, um, is up at adastraradio.com. Just go to the sports page and you can look at all of the broadcast schedule for this Friday and Saturday. Well, that is the gist of our regular topics this week, and we can move on to your final thoughts. Well, Scott, uh, you and I were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording about the incidents that I saw over the weekend at Stryker Sports Complex in Wichita. I'm a youth soccer referee. Most of our listeners know that. And, you know, I saw a couple ugly incidents out there. And But I, I don't want to talk about those. I want to talk about and, – and I really hate to put blame on anybody, Scott, but, you know, when stuff like this happens, it makes it easier for it to funnel down that these frustrations – to the youth level that we see. So on, on Saturday, Liverpool played Tottenham in a big English premier soccer league game. I mean, it was, it, it's one of the big games early in the season and English, the, the English league has a video assistant referee VAR, and it is used for essentially disputed goals that might be offside, you know, by, by a fraction or by like an inch or something like that. And just like in the NFL, uh, the, the, they, they have a call on the field. Is it a goal? Is it offside? Um, and it's used for more than just that. They can use it to, to, to review potential violent conduct that might be a red card, uh, stuff like that. But in this one incident, that, uh, it was 0-0. Liverpool had already been given a red card, so they're down to 10 men. And uh, Luis Diaz takes a pass. He goes in and scores. And the assistant referee, as he was supposed to do, let the play happen, and then – because he was scored, okay, he's offside. We're going to bring that back, and it's not going to be a goal. And so because it was so close, VAR calls down and essentially says, hey, give us a second. We're going to take a look at this. And it didn't take very long. As a matter of fact, when I was watching the game, they showed the still of the play, and I thought, hey, he's onside. This is going to be a goal for Liverpool. Good. And then within 15, 20 seconds, they determined that it was not a goal. And I just sat there thinking, wait a minute. It looked pretty obvious even to the naked eye before they even brought in the rules, you know, the, the, the little rulers that they draw to show exactly how far they're offside. So I was, I was left pretty confused. Well, it's since been determined that there was miscommunication in the VAR room and that VAR thought that they were essentially looking at the play from the perspective of the goal counted, and they were looking to see if Luis Diaz was offside. But the call in the field was that he was offside. So when the video assistant referee told the referee on the field that the check is complete, the referee took that as, okay, he's offside. My call is right. We're going to get back on it. But then they since released the audio, and there was just a panic in the VAR room. They're like, no, this goal should count. But once they restart a play, they can't do anything about it. So 
Scott, the frustration that I have is they've got all this technology to try to right the wrongs. And to the naked eye, this was a fair goal. And they, through human error, everyone has admitted it. The league has admitted it. The, the officials uh, organization has admitted it, that this was an incorrect call, even with video assistant referee. And, you know, obviously now there's all kinds of frustrations boiling over from fans, from, from pundits. And when you can't get a call with the assistance of video that you should get right 100 times out of 100, that, that's, that, there's no other way to say it. That's a call that they should get right every single time. And they didn't. And I think that a lot of times then that frustration then boils over to the lower levels of professional, to the lower levels of amateur, all the way down to the youth level. Now, again, I'm not trying to justify anybody's behavior, but if they can't get it right with the, the best levels of technology, I mean, how, they, how can anyone expect the, the, the 16-year-old doing your kid's game on the weekend to get it right, but yet we expect them to? Just maddening that an error of that magnitude happened in a game of that magnitude with the, assistant, with, with, with the technology of video it just, it's stunning. It's flabbergasting. And frankly, Scott, I hate to say this, but it's unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just what an easy catch. I, I think back to the Chiefs game on Sunday night, Brad. And I, I know there'd have to be worlds moved to put this into the replay. But when you're watching the, 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 the bogus horse collar tackle, which should have actually been an offensive face masking call, you're obviously seeing this on the video replay why can't they buzz down to the official and say hey you, you missed that one you've got to reverse your call actually there should be a penalty on the offensive player I, I don't understand with the technology there it's blatantly the wrong call why can't that be corrected and it's a fix in, in that case god that, that that that's a fix within that's less neat. than a minute and, and, and I know that they get into situations, and, and this is a fair criticism, that they don't want to delay the game that long. I understand that, and, and that's a fair criticism to have. But at the same time, I think fans just want to see the calls correct. And if you've got the technology, you got the ability to make those calls correct, I, don't, I just don't see what the problem is to get them right. Again, you talked about that horse collar and the face mask. That's not, even, that, that, that's not a gray area. Those were both black and white, easy as can be. And they still couldn't get it right. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. I mean, they use the technology. You know, how long, Brad, does it take to a, a close game in collegiate basketball? How long does it take to play the last minute? Oh, about 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Because every time there's a basket and a timeout, they have to go look at the clock. Do we need to put two tenths of a second back on there or whatever? Um, and again, I understand they're trying to make it fair for both teams so they have the exact amount of time they should have, but it's painstaking to watch. Uh, they've surpassed the last minute of how long it takes to play an NBA game. Uh, <laughs> by yeah. about minutes. I mean, it, they have, and, and that, that's the negative side, trying to correct every little thing. Yeah, and that's what I'm kind of talking about is that there is a fair argument to make about you don't want to extend things out more than you have to, but the, but for some for but for the technology, so you know a lot of people were saying that oh they once the game starts they can't go back and get it. they can't go back and get it. Well, listening to the audio that was released by the Premier League, they knew within seconds in in the VAR that they screwed up. And we're talking like less than 10 seconds probably. Yeah. And why, why can't you buzz down and say, hey, stop the game immediately? We've got to reverse this now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of the head scratching things when you have the technology there and fail to employ it. It's uh, it's a maddening one. My final thoughts this week, Brad, I saw this just came out. I think it was either yesterday or today it goes back to Major League Baseball. I don't know if you saw this, Brad. Um I've always been a fan of pitchers that were knuckleball pitchers over uh, their careers in the major leagues. I saw that uh, Tim Wakefield um, passed away. He'd had a long bout, I believe, with cancer um, at 57 years old. Um, and I, I got to looking, always loved watching knuckleball. The Necros, when they threw the knuckleball back in the days, I always loved watching Tim Wakefield. I just, I just love watching knuckleballers pitch. 
and I got to reading on his career and how improbable this career was. Brad, he attended the Fighting Panthers of Florida Tech <laughs> Institute of Technology in Florida. It was a Division II school. Um, he was actually, uh, in his sophomore and junior years, the team's most valuable player as a first baseman. Um, he had 22 home runs. That was their single season record and a career home run record of 40. And they retired his number three jersey in 2006. He got actually did get drafted by the Pirates in the eighth round. And the scouts told him at that point, they said, look, as a position player, your ceiling is double A ball. You're, you're never going to get to the major leagues. So the guy starts to develop a knuckleball that he just kind of toyed around with in, you know, pitching on the side. It doesn't say that he actually ever pitched in college. And the guy goes on to play his 19 years um, in the major leagues, spent almost entirely with the Boston Red Sox. He was an all-star in 2009. He won two World Series championships with the Red Sox in 04 and 07. Um, he's in the Red Sox Hall of Fame. And if you give me just a moment, here at the very bottom of the article, um, he finished his Red Sox career. He's only behind Roger Clemens and Cy Young in career wins for the Red Sox, second behind Clemens in career strikeouts, and he's second in game appearances by a pitcher behind um, reliever Bob Stanley, and first in game started as a pitcher and first in innings pitched as a pitcher for the Red Sox, a guy that was a position player in college and then dies, of course, much too young, um, at age 57. I just thought it was uh, um, certainly worth visit talking about a little bit tonight and, and, and recognizing how good of a player he was. And again, a knuckleball, uh, if you don't know much about it, the first person that'll tell you they don't know where the pitch is going is the pitcher. Uh, <laughs> I remember my dad would always say that uh, if the Negroes in their 60s could still throw against the Royals, they would probably throw a two-hit shutout against them just because the Royals never could able to see a, a hit a knuckle, knuckleball, whether it was the Negroes or or R.A. Dickey, I think was a, the Blue Jays knuckleballer, or Tim Wakefield. Uh, yeah, I definitely was never fond of uh, the Royals when they played against Tim Wakefield because uh, we just couldn't hit him. Uh, yeah, the, the, the knuckleball, a fascinating pitch. I think so many people try it. Very difficult pitch to learn how to master, and you got to respect the guy who completely reinvents himself like that. You know, Charlie Huff. Uh, yeah, another good one. Pitched well into his 40s. It just isn't, it's so much easier on your arm. Um, you're not torquing it with the with the slider and the curveball and all of that. Um, and he's in the Red Sox Hall of Fame, Brad. I, I, he's, he, he's never gotten the sniff, I don't think, of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. 280 was his career record, 4.41, not a bad ERA, 2,100. 56 strikeouts, but I will tell you this. When a knuckleballer is on top of his game, forget about it. <laughs> Just forget about it. You are not going to hit him. When a knuckleballer is is rolling, um, you're not going to hit him. And, it, and Tim Wakefield, again, gone gone way too early, but, boy, he, he was fun to watch. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, definitely – uh, hope he gets the re proper recognition throughout Major League Baseball throughout the postseason, too. We do as well. Well, again, we will uh, be back to break down all of the big games this weekend, the, the Jayhawks, the Chiefs, all the high school football as well. But for tonight's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.